This podcast was proudly brought to you by the Institute of Directors with support from the Advanced Directors course. Kia ora, I'm Stephen Moe, and we're back again for another season of Board Matters. This time, we're taking a closer look at the diverse perspectives of directors from around the country, getting an insight into their sectors to find out why governance and the decision-making process is important and what it looks like when it's done well. In this episode, we'll hear from David Gover. My career was originally an executive career around about 35 years in advertising and then moving across to education. And through CE and executive director roles, I got more and more involved in in governance. And now that's what I do full time. I've had a wide experience from multinational to government agency boards, probably about 30 organizations in total. In recent years, the two main sectors that I've worked in are founder owned businesses. Those are typically businesses between two and 10 million privately owned revenue and the not for profit, or as I know you like to call it the for purpose sector. And how did you end up specializing in that sort of area? Well, I moved into the um, not-for-profit and professional association space really as a way of contributing to the wider industry that I was in, initially the advertising industry, then the education sector, and wider um, society. So, for instance, I'm, I'm on the new IOD national board currently, and that's because I want to support the business of governance and in the past things like volunteer service abroad. And I've been a business owner and involved with startups, so I understand that I'm very interested in supporting entrepreneurs to be successful. That's a tough area of business to be in, and sort of governance is is still developmental in many ways in those businesses, and I think I can make a contribution there. I think we'll come back to this later, because I know you've spent time offshore. Can you describe that a little bit? Where have you um, practiced governance outside of New Zealand? My first governance role was when I and three colleagues launched our own advertising agency in London. I was 23 years old and I had no idea what governance was. And suddenly I had all these director responsibilities that I still didn't really understand very well. But fairly soon after that, we sold the business to an American multinational. That's what took me around the world from the UK to Australia. Uh, and then to Indonesia, and then finally to New Zealand. So I was the chief exec reporting to an international board or a regional board. Very different from the sort of governance we understand in in New Zealand. It's quite arm's length in some ways if you're a country manager. It's very prescribed in other ways if you're working for an American multinational that has quarterly reports. It's highly financial in its interest. Very, very different from the sort of roles I, I, I now do in New Zealand. And what's your view about governance? Governance is becoming more visible, but generally in the past, it's become visible when it's gone wrong rather than when it's gone right. The board is in the role of the navigator. Governance comes from Latin governato, which is nautical in, in its terms. And in New Zealand, it works very well with the analogy of the walker. So if the ship's sailing well, you don't really worry about the navigation. You don't worry about the, the navigator. It's a privilege to be able to help drive an organization into the future and support the captain, of course, who is the CE, who's, who's got the day job. And the picture of a canoe or a waka is quite a good one as well, isn't it? Because if you get everyone paddling all in different directions, you're, you're going to be stuck in one place. I'm seeing that analogy more and more, not just in Maori organizations, but we can identify with across New Zealand. Now, I'm really interested in your particular area, which is the founder-owned businesses, because... 
that to me is like a subset of businesses. And do you think there's anything unique about governance for founder-owned or founder-led businesses? Yes, because very often they haven't had other executive or governance experience until they become founders. That's why they're founders. They've come up with their own idea and they're driving it. And many of them stay in that business for, for many, many years. Helping SME business owners, for them, it's intensely personal, unlike any other sort of environment. They're in it for the long haul, but the house is on the line if things don't work out. So they have limited resources. And part of the role of the board, which is often quite a small board, is to help them balance today's needs against keeping a longer term eye on a future strategy to sustain the business. There's always a challenge and a conflict with limited resources. Smaller businesses arguably are more affected by changes in economic circumstances in their sector. And you do actually have to move rapidly when necessary. I know everyone's meant to be agile these days, but certainly SMEs have always had to be. I find that a really dynamic area. And founders are normally very interesting people. Particularly in New Zealand, for founders, they would typically say, well, I'll just get it done. You know, it's kind of a cultural touch point of the number eight wire. Whereas governance, it's sometimes about bringing in some new people or some new perspectives. How do you help founders understand the importance of a board? You tend to get involved with the founders that are beginning to realize it's important because that's how you come on board in the first place. There are many business owners who just don't bother with the board. Those that do bring on boards have an eye to the future and want their ideas challenged. They want to have a, a discussion. It's a very lonely role, just owning your own business if, without a lot of external stimulation. You can't really often talk to your competitors that openly. With the SMEs I've been with, the founders have been smart enough to know that if they get some other people around them to help with the navigation, to help with the debate about where the resources should go, that they're going to get there quicker and they're going to get there more successfully. When have you seen governance done poorly? When the team around the table is not strong. A strong, effective board is diverse but cohesive. So it, it happens when either the, the, the team is not sufficiently skilled in governance. And so, for instance, you might get that in the um, not-for-profit area where you've got a voluntary board, or it's not united around the organizational direction and strategy. So there's two ways that, that things can go wrong. Sloppy procedures, poor governance understanding, and for instance, you know, financial oversight is an area that can very quickly get out of control if you don't have all the procedures in place. And then when there's one or two board members who, for whatever reason, feel isolated or not listened to around the table, that's when the board culture really begins to turn sour. And I've seen that happen very rapidly. And the performance of the board as a whole drops quite dramatically. Board Matters is brought to you by the Institute of Directors with support from the Advanced Directors course. How about when governance is done well? What is it that's unique or what really stands out to you? For me, good governance is ideally you never need to take a vote because you've discussed an issue from different perspectives and then you've reached a common position. And when that sort of culture is right and you know the board is operating in the zone, I think governance can be really fun. It can feel almost effortless, that sense of flow. Certainly in times of crisis, I've seen a cohesive board really respond much more effectively, more speedily, in a more concerted and 
manage way than, than a board that has one or two people who just don't feel like they're on the walker. That really comes down to the individuals around the table, of course. It's a highly collective team responsible. We're all equals around that table when we're having those discussions. How do you build that cohesiveness when you might only see a person once a month or once a quarter? You're right. It is very challenging because particularly a lot of these meetings might be um, virtual as well. So it's not like you can have a cup of tea beforehand and chat or go out to dinner afterwards and get to know one another. So the opportunities to rapidly build rapport is difficult. One of the the ways I've seen it done very successfully is, is some boards that are taking on Māori um, tikanga and starting their meetings with whanangatanga, which is really an open exploration of how you're feeling, where we're at, maybe talk about a topic or maybe share some information around about us personally. And it builds connections before we get to the agenda and the matter of the day. And that's very powerful because you develop a new understanding, a new respect for who's sitting across the table. And you'll listen differently to what they have to say. We've been talking through that lens that, that you're bringing to this conversation of the founder-owned or the founder-led businesses. I'm just wondering if we could take that hat off and put on the hat of the for-purpose organizations. What are your observations around that sector? Any trends or anything you're seeing that might be different to the for-profit boards? Uh, very different. All the sectors that I've been in have, have very, very different dynamics. Many of the for-purpose organizations are governed by volunteers, unpaid, maybe have some particular attachment to the organization, but not necessarily recruited for their governance experience. They're very passionate about the purpose of the organization. They'll give you lots of discretionary effort, but sometimes they're not clear on the line between governance and management. You know, lack of remuneration contributes to the fact that you don't always get someone that you're looking for on those boards. However, I've seen a lot of change in, in that space in, in the last 10 years or so, a lot more guidance from the IOD on others on not-for-profit governance. And I think the, the caliber of the governance, even though it's still in many cases volunteer board members, is, is absolutely increasing at quite an exponential value. I know you've written about the future of work. What's your take on that, where we're headed with work, and how does that relate with governance? The old concept was work-life balance. It was an implicit trade-off, and it was a net-sum game. The modern view of the work, particularly since we were sitting at home in pyjamas having meetings with our dogs running around our feet for a few months there, we're increasingly integrating our view of work with our wider life. That is changing the workplace. And that combined with a younger generation who are very values driven and who are making decisions on who they're willing to work for according to the purpose of the organization and how successfully that organization achieves its purpose. I think that's bubbling right up through into the boardroom. And examples are the conversations around the board table. It's not just about the shareholder anymore. It's about the stakeholders. What is our social license to operate? What is our contribution to climate adaptation. A lot of these things are very new for many boards, but they're a sign of a societal change. The technology has in many ways made our lives easier, but the issues have actually got more complex. One of your books is called Don't Worry About the Robots, written with Dr. Joe Cribb as well. That came out only a couple of years ago, but even since then, the word AI has probably risen in prominence. Have you got any reflections on that in terms of things that may have changed since that book came out? The risk about writing that technology is it's 
the book's out of date almost the day it's published. And certainly, you know, we did mention AI a little bit in it, but obviously this year it has really hit the headlines and is part of the public consciousness. We will continue to see us invent clever tools and worry about whether they're going to be used for good or ill. Certainly there's sort of virtual technologies that are beginning to get into the boardroom and make, make it easier. I know there's a few few boards experimenting with some things in that area. You've been overseas, you've had international experience. I'm just wondering, since you're now back in New Zealand, have you got any reflections on governance that things might be done differently here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, compared to, say, the US or the UK or other places that you've been? The primary difference is scale. We don't have the same number of large organizations. We don't have the same large resource or large population. So inevitably, all business activities, whether it's for profit or for purpose, is personal to a greater or lesser extent. And personal relationships count for a lot in this country. I think that's fantastic because we can work together at a human level on some of these issues. Some of the other countries, it is very easy to become a little faceless or inconsiderate of the large numbers of employees or large numbers of stakeholders. The downside, you know, we are smaller, we can't achieve innovation as quickly as we don't have the R&D investment. Probably a little risk averse in many areas because of that. We don't take many big bets. And we do have this number eight wire myth, which I do believe is a hindrance these days. It's an argument for amateurism. Certainly in the governance space, we need to continue to be more professional. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's something that I see people saying with pride, but actually, you know, and to a certain extent, it is a good cultural value that you you make do or you, you know, learn how to do things. But actually, there is a point where you need to be able to say, let's get the experts in and, and let's do this professionally and properly. How has a learning mindset been part of your journey when it comes to governance? And in particular, when you think about it in terms of remaining relevant or thinking about governance differently? Every board experience I've had has been different. And what I've tried to do is take something from each of those forward in, in, into future roles. I've spent a large part of my career in adult training and education, so I'm naturally a big advocate of professional development. So I try to model that in my own governance career. You know, I'm a chartered member of the IOD. I've recently enjoyed doing the advanced director's course. Nobody's going to give this stuff to you. You've got to take ownership of it, and you've got to keep yourself current because that great question at the end of many board meetings is, did we add value today? How are we going to add value if we're not up with the play and we're not conversant with the opportunities and the, and the challenges around us? I think it's really exciting in the time I've been involved with governance that we see a much younger, more diverse group coming through. You know, it used to be an end of career option. I know people in their 20s and 30s who want a governance career now and they're working hard on it. And we hear the word governance more in general society for good or ill. People are beginning to realize that there's these other people who have, have some influence on things. That's great, but the challenge is we need to help more people to understand what governance really means in that case, because we just don't want to have more that's less good. And we need to actively develop the skills and understanding of that new generation, because they're going to face a whole bunch of new challenges in the future. That was David Glover. I'm Stephen Moe, and you've been listening to Season 2 of Board Matters, made by the Institute of Directors, with support from the Advanced Directors course an immersive three-and-a-half-day course designed for directors tackling complex governance issues and challenges, looking to hone their leadership skills. 
Board Matters is produced by Sonia Yi. You can find all of the episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, we would love for you to share, like, or subscribe. If you'd like to find out more about what governance is, head to iod.org.nz. Kakite and catch you next time.